black them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help Bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. Just before we start today's episode, just a friendly reminder to please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. In particular, on iTunes helps, but any platform that you use to download it on, it really does help. It may not seem like much, but that's the best thing you can do to help podcasts. Tell a friend about this podcast. If you have a friend who likes Meryl Streep, send him our way. We'd really appreciate that, too. If you want to get in touch, we love hearing from other Meryl Streep fans. Our email is MerylStreepPodcast at gmail.com. All one word, MerylStreepPodcast at gmail.com. We're ready to start today's show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Miss Meryl McNally? I am very good. How are you? I'm good. It's, you know, we've, we're doing two weeks in a row here. I love it. I know, right? People are going to, people are going to fall over with, with shock and surprise after I hiatus. Either that, or I think we've like built up this, you know, like, uh, like backlog of, of episodes right. now, which no, we haven't. It's a, it's Sunday, uh, June 11th. <laughs> I promise. Um, right. but anyway, how's everything going? What have you been up to the last week? I, everything's going really well. I had, um, we had, my theater company had auditions for our production of Peter and the Star Catcher, which is, um, we're using as an acting workshop for 10 to 18 year olds. And so I spent my Monday and Tuesday evening with um, really brilliant, creative uh, 10 to 18 year olds having fun and improving and cold readings. And uh, yeah, kids amaze me. Nice. They amaze me. Good. They're sponges. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. Good. So um, Wednesday was callbacks and then, um, you know, just working. How about you? I it was another gig weekend. It's always gig weekends, especially in in summertime. So I I went to my hometown in southeastern Wisconsin and did a couple shows. So I just got back. I was saying there was a uh, here in the Twin Cities. There was apparently a massive storm this morning, and the power was out all day. It literally turned on as I walked in. I even stopped at the gas station to get like ice. You know, I, I got a couple bags of ice because it was that situation where it had been oh, out for yeah. hours, like twelve hours. But as soon as I walked in the door, it turned on i was in the house for about 30 seconds and it turned back on so um, it was you it was i guess so you brought the electricity i guess so but yeah have you been uh it's our first segment of every episode is the uh what have you been watching lately have you been watching anything this past week it's only been a week this time no um you know what i started i read um i read a blog called laney gossip and i adore it they're uh She's amazing, and her team of bloggers are amazing. And it's mostly it's mostly Hollywood gossip and things like that. But she does watch shows regularly and write reviews on, on shows and films, and um, or, or her people do. And she talks a lot about Riverdale, which is on the CW, which is based off of you know the comic with Archie Bunker and um, or not not Archie Bunker. That's 
totally a different different thing. You know, it's Archie and Veronica and Betty. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Archie Bunker. That's what, what show is that? I think that's <laughs> All in the Family, um, isn't it? Yes, thank you. It's yeah. All in the Family, yes. Which I've never different seen. Archie. I don't know why I know that. I've never seen that show in my life, but I know it's easy. At the, he's in the zeitgeist, I know. Carol O'Connor played that part. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I've watched a couple episodes of that. I'm a sucker for a good CW show because they approach they approach their melodramas in a very certain way. So the story, the plot keeps moving. Uh huh. Um, and so I have actually really enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know how much I'm going to watch, but um, I can see why I can see why it's a hit. It's cool. Fun. Cool. I, yeah. I I don't even know that one. I've never heard of it. So, worth checking yeah, well, out. Well, I think they're they're in their second season. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you've referenced yeah, that. You? Um, I only watched one thing this week. I really only had time to watch one thing this week, um, and I'm still not really sure how I feel about it. Uh, it was the newest M Night Shyamalan thing that that split movie, the one with uh, James McAvoy. Oh, I saw that. Did in you? The theater. How did you? Yeah. I wish I had yeah. seen it in the theater. I think his movies are always much better in the theater. Um, how do, how did you feel about this movie? I don't know how I feel about Split. So um, I was wildly impressed with James McAvoy, which is yep. I, and that's really why I went because I'm a huge fan of his as an actor, and I was just so intrigued to see what he would do. Yeah, me too. The uh, yeah, the the sort of the. The way M. Night Shyamalan wraps up his scripts, like it's just so, um, it's a little, it's a little bit trite, right? Like it's just, it's just a little too oversimplified and formulaic and bizarre. Yeah, it just sort of it went over the top. What was a really interesting exploration of of this guy and and all of his personalities turned into almost a weird sci-fi slash analogy to zoo animals. <laughs> yeah. Correctly. So two things hit me. One is because I actually kind of I, M Night Shyamalan's one. I don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't think everything that he's done is is genius by any stretch. But he's one of. He's kind of a guilty pleasure in that. Like some of his movies, I sure. really like a lot. In particular, Signs. I think is just a really great film. I love that movie. I really enjoyed that too. Yeah. There are a couple other ones. And in fact, the brother's name is Mel. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um. Huh. And uh, the his the one right before this, I think, unless I'm forgetting one, the visit was also really really cool. I like his kind of smaller ones. See, that one's really yeah. good. It goes back to like super creepy, and um, I actually watched it in what was probably the best of circumstances. I was staying at this Airbnb like in the middle of nowhere, um, and oh. yeah. It was the perfect circumstance to watch it because you feel like you're just in the... It, it just adds to the weirdness element to it. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. um, you know, some of his stuff like Another Earth or whatever that... After Earth or whatever that Will Smith one was. Not so great. Last Airbender, things like that. His, like, bigger studio stuff I'm not as crazy about. But his, like, smaller ones, I, I don't know. 
um, I, I really yeah. like. And I kind of thought that's what this was going to be. And I didn't realize, and I hope this isn't a spoiler because I don't know if this was kind of like the twist thing. I didn't realize that it's a sequel to Unbreakable. Again, if you, if you want to watch this movie and uh, don't want it spoiled for you, jump ahead like two or three minutes. Um, but you know how it, it shows Bruce Willis at the end. That's his character from Unbreakable. And in fact, he's doing, he's tying it up by doing a combination movie. His next movie is going to be the actors from Split and the actors from Unbreakable. So it's Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy. They're doing this like cross movie with, with the characters from both movies. And, um, okay. So what I started to say was like, I, because I feel like I know M. Night Shyamalan's movies pretty well at this point, like. I was waiting for the twist. So the thing that you were talking about with you're not sure how you feel about the movies wrapping up, like uh, that's part of like what appeals to me is like he always mm-hmm. does that. And so it's figuring out how he's going to do that. And this one seemed okay. so like, like you say, an examination of like multiple personalities for so long that I was going, okay, when's this going to get weird? And that's a weird, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a strange uh, yeah. position to be in as a viewer but and it did get weird so you know um, I feel I, like maybe too late yeah I agree with you actually I agree um, yeah. but the actors were really good I'm looking at the cast list right now mm-hmm. special shout out to Betty Buckley I this is the second episode in a row that we've referenced Betty Buckley because <laughs> I referenced her singing the song that yeah. uh, Shirley MacLaine does um, Haley Lou Richardson is one of the younger girls, as is Anya Taylor-Joy, and the other one is Jessica Sula. I thought they were all really good. Haley Lou Richardson was in another movie I saw recently called The Bronze. Have you heard of this movie? Uh-huh. Uh-uh, no. Oh, it's a... Uh, like uh, uh, it's it's hard to describe. It's a it's a comedy about a, a gymnast. She plays a gymnast who's uh, trying to train for the gymnastics. Oh, I have heard of it. Yes, I have heard of it. Very very raunchy. Very uh, very yeah. but very small at the same time. But she was she's kind of a an interesting one to watch. But um, so yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I would I would give it a a tepid yeah i liked it i'm curious to see where it goes next i wouldn't say rush out and see it but it was it was fine i i I have to make two observations one i did see unbreakable in the theater and i don't remember a thing about it except that i thought it was awful okay so it would be interesting to revisit it because i was actually i was in maybe sure I feel, I feel like I was maybe a junior, senior in high school, and I just remember laughing, like, out loud at things I shouldn't be laughing at. And then, um, with regard to Split, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, I love I love Betty Buckley. I do, too. And whoever costumed the film put her in this short skirt for scenes where she was having to sit. And... It was all I could notice. Like, it was distracting me from the scene because I felt like Betty was super uncomfortable. And I was just like, who put her in that? Really? Why didn't they put her in a pantsuit? Yeah. (laughs) I didn't notice that. I mean, to her credit, it did not take away from her performance. And I'm sure I was projecting the discomfort, but she, yeah, I I felt 
Billy Cooper in a miniskirt for seated scenes, and then a lot of the camera angles were low for those scenes. I did notice like that, yeah. they were level looking up, and I was like, oh, this is brutal. <laughs> I did I did notice the camera angles. I didn't notice the, the short skirt, actually. I wonder if that's like a big screen thing versus small screen thing where it didn't... Um, Maybe, also, maybe, I, maybe. and because I was not watching it in the theater, I will admit that I was looking at my computer screen half the time because I was doing something else. So that was probably really what it was. But, yeah. um, you know, yeah, uh, I think she's really good. I wish she did more uh, acting work, to tell you the truth. She's she's equally known, in fact, maybe even more known as a singer. So I think, you know, in fact, I just the right. reason I referenced her singing that song is I, I got her most recent record, which is a really cool thing that she did called, I think it's called Story Songs. And oh, cool. yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I think she does a lot of touring still and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to see her in, in more films too because she's great um yeah so last time i mentioned um in our little preamble that there were two things that happened right around the time that we released the episode one of which we knew before we we taped and both of us forgot which is that uh meryl signed (laughs) on to the sequel to Mamma mia which will be hitting theaters next summer summer of 2018 in fact they have a they even have a more specific date to it already. They have it as July 20th next year. So, um, you know, the wor- really fast. It is. Yeah, because they're not filming it yet. She's filming the Steven Spielberg one right now. So they're not filming it right now. So that'll be wow. next in her queue, I'm sure. Um, so how do you feel about this? I guess this kind of leads us into how do you feel about Mamma Mia without we're not doing that. Uh, movie today so we won't get too in-depth into it but this is Meryl's first sequel it's kind of a big deal um you know what I'm excited about I thought Mamma Mia was really charming and I didn't have any exposure to the musical before I saw the film so the film was my first foray into it and I thought it was really charming and everyone did a great job now I'm usually I'm you know I'm a musical theater junkie and so I'm not crazy about when non-singing actors attempt to sing but for whatever reason, Mama Mia is so lighthearted and charming that um, I pretty much enjoy everybody across the board. I, I did hear that Colin Firth was so... One of my favorite movies is Easy Virtue, and on the commentary, this, um, the director, he said that Stephen Schwartz was... Or Steve, uh, Colin Firth was so scarred by the critic's response to his singing voice in Mama Mia that he refused to sing for any virtue in any way, shape, or form or ever until again. So I was really interested to hear that you had signed on to a second one. See, now that obviously changed his mind a little. <laughs> right. That's interesting because the one I remember hearing a lot of people talk about was Pierce Brosnan more than right. Colin Firth. I, I, I thought of everybody. His was probably the weakest singing voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because Amanda Seyfried's got a nice voice, um, and she does. And Meryl, of so course, Meryl just Street, too. Really. Yeah. So I didn't. Um, I'm looking at the IMDb for this, and it's those four, the four that we mentioned that are signed on, according to IMDb. So Dominic Cooper is not attached to it. I don't know if Christine Baranski or any of the other folks who are in it are doing it or not. Maybe it just lists four, and I'm sure there will be more. Um, so it's kind of interesting because. 
the original Mamma Mia came out, it'll be 10 years. It'll it, So 2008, the first one came really? out. This will be 2018. So I that's, can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, that's kind of a long time to go in between sequels. I, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm down on it, but it kind of seems a little bit funny to me in a way to do it now. It's one of those things where if they were going to do it, I would have thought they would have like capitalized on it back then because it was so huge, you know. But it's almost been kind of forgotten about in a way and and like you don't hear people clamoring for a Mamma Mia sequel or at least I don't so it seems kind of interesting that they've gone this route I really wonder if it's been written yet you would assume so if it's you know I mean and certainly would hope so I don't know who knows it is weird it is weird and I think I think what's happening is you know even back in 2008 we weren't quite on the sequel, prequel, trilogy, you know, right. um, thing, train that, that Hollywood is on now. And I think, I don't know, it would be interesting to look at. I mean, Hollywood is so corporate now. I mean, they're doing what they know will make them money. Um, and obviously it's always... It's always had that goal, but I, I don't remember in 2008. I wasn't paying attention back in 2008 to the sort of business model of Hollywood the way I do now. So it's right. interesting to look at. Yeah. To see if that's why. If they're just, well, you know, this did pretty well for us. Let's resurrect it. Right. If it's a cash grab or if it's something that, you know, is more of a. You know, if if they felt like the story was was worth telling, and there's another chapter to it, it'll be kind of interesting to exactly. see, you know, how who it follows because you know the original, as I remember it, I I think I've only seen Mamma Mia one time, and it would have been about back then, so you know, ten years. Um, so the retrospect of it, my real like memory of it was kind of the relationship between you know Amanda Seyfried and and Meryl, the like mother daughter relationship thing right and so i'm not sure if that's going to be kind of the same route or if it goes if it follows one of them more than the other you know um i don't know we we probably won't know much about it for a while but you know it's it like the the broadway show doesn't have a sequel as far as i know i mean this isn't based off of like another musical that's already in existence they're writing this for the movie as far as i know so um yeah just very interesting i would say out of all the movies, uh, although Meryl's not made a ton of movies where you would think sequel, 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 but, um, you know, <laughs> but like that Sophie's Choice uh, sequel, right? Now it's just a sequel to The Deer Hunter right. and we will all cry. <laughs> so I've ne- there aren't that many movies of hers where I would go like, oh, I, I could see another one of those, but I don't know if Mamma Mia would be at the top of my list for a Meryl Streep sequel. I'm not, I'm not. Again, I don't want to down on it. I will happily go see anything she's in, and anytime she's singing, I'm happy. But um, I don't know. It's yeah. I have high hopes. I feel yeah. But there, I'm also cautious about it because it feels like the kind of thing that could maybe not be the greatest of ideas. Too. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hope that's not true. <laughs> Me too. That we, we've seen it before. Not not with Meryl so much, but other you know, like trying to oh, yeah. trying to go oh, to the God. sequel. Well, is not always a great idea. Um, nope. 
So the other thing that uh, happened right around the time we released our episode last week, but this happened after we had taped, so we didn't forget about it. It just hadn't been released yet, was uh, there was more casting announced for the uh, Steven Spielberg uh, directed movie that she's making right now. It's actually a ton of people in this movie. And uh, we have confirmation that it is indeed filming um, as we speak. They're, they're making it right now. Um, so I'm going to, I'm looking at again, the IMDB page. I don't know. Are you looking at it too, Meryl? So it's called the papers. Oh, which one is it? The papers. There we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm on it. So um, that's, I think, the first thing is that we have a, a title, which, of course, could change, but um, it's it's listed as the papers. The release date is January 12th of 2018, so it looks like we're going to have at least two Meryl Street movies next year. Is Mary Poppins Returns at the end of the year? It is. So we're going to yes. have three Meryl yeah. Street movies next I year. I know. That's going to be a Isn't big year. And I'm going to tell you, the fact that Carrie Coon in this mo- is in this movie <laughs> makes me so happy. The fact that Carrie Coon and Bill, I hope they have scenes together, whatever it is. Do you watch The um, Leftovers? I do. I have not started the third season yet. I haven't third either. Final season. I haven't either. I'm, we're and at the I, same place then. Yes, and I, um, I adore her from that, and then she's also in the newest season of Fargo, and it's brilliant. She's oh. brilliant. She has a Meryl S. quality about her. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Yeah. Um, other folks in the list here, Allison Brie uh, from Community and a few other things. Michael Stolberg. Yeah. I don't even. Who is Michael? He's a German actor. He's in. Uh, he, I've seen him in a couple things. Oh I, yes, yes, yes. He's in the Coen Brothers films. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 You're right. Yes. He's very good. Um, yeah. Bradley Whitford is in it. Bradley Whitford, who I saw there is a Steven Spielberg connection because I saw Bradley Whitford and Mark Rylance together in uh, Boeing. Boeing, and of course Spielberg keeps using Mark Rylance oh. in his movies lately. It'd be cool if if Mark Rylance was in this movie. Um, Jesse Plemons, yeah. speaking of Fargo, the great Jesse Plemons from Fargo and Breaking Bad. Um, Bob Odenkirk, yeah. speaking of Breaking Bad, yeah. another connection. Bruce Greenwood, who is one of my favorite character actors. He's amazing. Um, yes. The genius that is Sarah Paulson, the amazing oh, Sarah Paulson. Everybody loves her. Um, I watched for the second time the whole you know people versus oj you know sometime within the last month and she's just surreally wonderful in that um Mm -hmm. david cross one of my favorite comedians uh matthew reese from the americans right that's what he's from right the americans yes yes and he used to be on brothers and sisters he's actually he's he's one of my favorites for sure is he? Well, he's he's really amazing uh-huh. on The Americans. Zach Woods and Tracy yeah. Letts. So it's just an amazing cast. This thing has some pedigree behind it. I mean, this thing... Yes, it does. Has Majorly. all the makings of something incredible. And kind of interestingly, so because it's going to be released very, very early next year, I, as I, you know, I mentioned this when we first talked about it, I suspect they'll put it out right before the end of the year in a limited release um so you yeah. know it it might be in the conversation for for the next oscar cycle already i in fact i i really think it will be there is a plot yeah. 
Um, Meryl, do you want do you do you want to read the plot thing? Sure. There. Yeah, it says a, a cover up that spanned four U.S. presidents pushed the country's first female newspaper publisher and a hard-driving editor to join an unprecedented battle between journalists and government, inspired by true events. Which is very intriguing. It is. And the thing I like best about that is the first person listed is the first female newspaper publisher. You know, I, I like that. Yes. It, it makes it, it gives the indication that her role is going to be front and center. Um, so... I'm, Which is a nice change for a Spielberg movie. It is. Yeah, we've talked about that yeah. a few times. And, um, you yeah. know, I caught just a couple minutes of uh, Lions for Lambs on TV the other day. and um, Yeah. Which has kind of a similar, it, it could have a similar vibe. Like that movie could have been made by Steven Spielberg. And, um, you know, it's more of a supporting turn and it's a great supporting turn, but you know, like all her move, all her scenes are with Tom Cruise and, and he's kind of the one that has the like mysterious stuff going on and she's just kind of there to kind of help move the plot along and, and whatever. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that this will be more of a focused on, on her work, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I'm excited about it for sure. Yeah. So... Well, without further ado, shall we? Shall we move into our movie of this week? Yes, if we must. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you feel about it? If we must? No. <laughs> no, not really. It was it was it was um it was a tough watch the first time. It was a tough watch again. It was sure. it was a tough watch. This is the one that I hadn't seen, so I'm very happy that I've seen it, but I'm not anxious to watch it again. I have to say, yeah. <laughs> um, it. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot you hadn't seen it. Yeah. It's very unusual. <laughs> it's the one. It's the one that I hadn't seen, and uh, it's yeah. It's very intense. Um, it's it's a look at the Vietnam War in basically like three different sections. I don't know. Let's let's do mm-hmm. what we never do and do the plot right at the beginning for anybody who yes. hasn't seen it. So if you feel comfortable, dive right in. Sure. So The Deer Hunter is about three friends played by Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and John Savage who are from a small industrial Pennsylvania town who um, enlist uh, enlist in the army to go to Vietnam. And the film really is about their, um, their time in Vietnam and the long-reaching uh, effects of of their experience there on them and the people in their lives back at home uh, in a nutshell. And obviously there are some other themes, but um, the film really takes place. It's three hours long and it takes place in three acts. So at, at home, at home in Pennsylvania in Vietnam and and the aftermath over there um, or the, the aftermath of being in battle and being prisoners of war. And then, um, back at home right so yeah directed by michael chimino right yeah yeah um and has a an insane cast i mean besides the people i mentioned meryl streep uh john cazal oh my gosh who else really really great character actors yeah 
it's it's not it's not a whole lot of names that you know like most people would know, but it's a lot of faces people would know no. probably. Stage stage a lot of stage actors. Right. And a lot of a lot of like you say, a lot of nineteen seventies character actors. This um yeah. I don't know. This was tricky. I sometimes struggle a little bit with 70s movies I was trying to explain this to somebody earlier because I was talking about our podcast and what we were going to be doing and the idea of this movie in particular there's there are other 70s movies where they do kind of the same thing in my opinion which Mm -hmm. is like uh, there's not much exposition like in this one the wedding just starts and you're like kind of thrown into like trying to figure out who's who and it takes a while and luckily that first act is like an hour long which is probably excessive you know like it probably doesn't need to be as long as it Uh is but it gives you a little bit of time to figure out who's who and what's going on Um, because again like the style nowadays is like there's and actually this is not a criticism of the movie because I think nowadays there's some sometimes too much exposition in film or at least like mm-hmm. too there's not very creative exposition maybe I'll put it that way where it's a lot of voiceover work that's just very kind of that's me and this is what I'm doing you know kind of like cheesy exposition I think it's kind of a very like yeah. in, indie approach to things and um so anyway this in the 70s they weren't doing that and and it was just kind of a very observational yes very um like day in the life you're a voyeur right and and they don't they don't explain anything to you and i um it kind you know it it really did i think of like arthur penn's bonnie and Clyde. yep and um yeah, you get into this sort of really sort of naturalistic way of filming. And I think of Days of Heaven, which came out the same year as Deer Hunter with Richard Gere and, and Sam. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is my age showing. Sam, playwright Sam. Shepard? Crazy, brilliant. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> with Sam Shepard and, and Richard Gere. And yeah, it was really rampant. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggle with it too. Well, and this is, you know, it's an it's a Vietnam War movie, and of course they were making other ones. In fact, Coming Home was was that same year, and they were up for like right. all the same Academy Awards. Um, and this was definitely a more controversial movie um, than Coming Home was, even though it did end up winning uh, probably more awards. It won Best Picture and Best Director and. Christopher Walken right. won Best Supporting Actor. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it, it got a lot of pedigree, but at the same time, there was a lot of controversy around it, too. It was a very successful movie, mm-hmm. but there was a certain faction of uh, people who felt like this movie, and, I, you know, looking back on it in 2017, I would definitely agree with this. It's that question of whether you can take a, a film as a time capsule or not, you know, whether it's representative of, you know, whether they should have known better back then, basically. I mean, the, uh, how, right. how the people of Vietnam are portrayed in this movie is not positively, you know what I mean? Like they really are, no. are portrayed almost like animals. And, and so there, yes. there were people, including Jane Fonda, who was in coming home, who, who were outspoken about that. And a lot of other people who said, you know, like this is, it's a racist movie, um, to a, to a certain extent. And, um, yeah, it, it was so bad that, uh, De Niro, didn't even go to the Academy Awards. You know, he was afraid. There were a lot of protesters at the Academy Awards, and uh, 
he was really? he was nervous about it, and so he stayed home. I guess he asked the academy. I read this online, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But I guess he asked the academy um, if if they'd let him watch it backstage. If he if basically he didn't want to be out in the audience. He didn't he didn't want it to be reaction shots of him and things like that. But they they wouldn't let him do it, so he just didn't go. Um, it's and, so interesting to me that he did that because um, well, I mean I. I get it to some extent, but from from what I can tell, from what I've read, he was just so dedicated to the film, right? And getting it made and making sure things went well, and yep. I mean, rehearsing actors on his own time and actually being responsible for casting almost the whole thing, right? Yep. Yeah. Will you talk about a couple of those things? Those are some of the things I wanted to, to bring up too. So sure. dive right into some of those things. Well, he um, he had uh, received the script and really liked the script, and I think the director, Michael Cimino, was coming off of a film called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood, which had done really well. And so De Niro felt really passionately about the project, and um, he knew a lot of New York actors, stage actors, and those are the people who are in the film. John Savage, Christopher Walken, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep was pretty much an unknown. She'd had her small part, um, her one scene in Julia with Vanessa Redgrave, and um, he saw her in a production of The Cherry Orchard, I yep. believe it was. Yep. Chekhov's Cherry Orchard. And she spoke to that. She said, my, I just decided that my character was going to fall down every time she came on stage. And uh, <laughs> she calls the performance shameless. Huh. But that's the performance he saw and wanted to put her in front of the director. And I think they cast her on site, on spot. Yeah. That must have um, been an amazing yeah. performance because Pacino has talked about seeing her in that too. I mean, like, I think they were all kind of, you know, that was the scene back then. They were all yeah, talking about her. Yeah, she calls it shameless and everybody else calls it brilliant. Right. That's about part of the course with her, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, um, an actor named John Cazal is also in the film, who was Meryl Streep's significant other at the time, and he was actually ill with um, um, terminal terminal cancer right. during the production. And it's my understanding that even when the even when the studio found out and pulled insurance, De Niro um, De Niro paid. Yeah, he to make put sure up the money. The film could continue. Yeah, yeah, he put up some money. So he's clearly very dedicated to the. To the to the movie, right? Yeah, with Kazali, sure. with Kazali in particular, a few things happened. One, Meryl threatened to leave if they fired John Kazali. She said she was going to, and um, it, probably the thing that would appease the studio and or the insurers the most is they rearranged the shooting schedule so that they could do all of John Kazali's scenes first, right. um, which ended up and being a he smart really move. Is so brilliant, he is. You know, he's one of those guys. It's it's pretty well known with him because he's only he only made I think it was five movies, six movies, something like that. Yeah. But every single one of them is an iconic movie. He was no. in he was in and got the, nominated for Best Picture. Right. He was in The Godfather. Yeah. 
He was in uh, the the one that I love most performance wise is Dog Day Afternoon, uh, Godfather Part Two. I mean, like you know, again those those five movies that he was in. The Conversation is the other one with with Gene Hackman. Those those movies, every one of them is an amazing kind of seventies iconic movie. So everything that he touched was was great. It's just that he didn't get to make very many of them before he passed. No, and uh, sadly, he, yeah, he passed before. He he could see this one um he never got to see it uh so i think things were pretty pretty tough for merrill at that point and this led of course when we get to kramer versus kramer there's a lot of stuff there too because dustin hoffman kind of pulled a lot of stuff on her you know he kind of manipulated yeah. her a lot with with kazali's death yeah. during the making of that movie but um you know this this movie is just so it, it's so intense you know i mean there's the so um intense. there's the infamous you know russian roulette scenes which are pretty harrowing i also saw somebody put this in the trivia of imdb did you read this that de niro asked that they would use a live that they would use a live round in, uh, no. in those scenes. This is, again, God knows if it's true or not, but they they said that he asked if they would use a live round, and Kazali said yes. Surely they told him no. No. Kazali oh, no. <laughs> said yes, but they said he obsessively checked to make sure it wasn't like the next one up in the chamber, basically. So, like, they used a live round to, like, heighten the tension so that, you know, you would, of course, always have that feeling of maybe this one, you know, maybe this is going to be it. But they also were, obviously, they were making a movie, so they were super careful about making sure it yeah. wasn't actually a number. I don't know. That seems crazy to me and that seems like there, there was there was also a lot of controversy about the use of Russian roulette as a symbol in the film because there are apparently no instances on record of of that kind of Russian roulette being um, you know done by either soldiers or, or, or Vietnam soldiers or whatever and um, but you know you know what happened. <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe not in that instance, but for instance, Alan Cumming has a memoir, uh, the actor Alan Cumming, about his um, uh, about his family, but also his experience on that show where you find out about your family history. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And his yeah, and his grandfather had had, had left the family um, and gone back to Malaysia where he had been, I, I think during World War II and his death was always super mysterious. And he found out in the process of doing this show that his, his, um, his grandfather played Russian roulette all the time really? and that's how he ultimately died. Wow. Well, yeah, as, as a result of his time in the war. So, you know, it's not completely out there that they use that. Right. As a symbol to, to move the story along. Right. Yeah, there's I did read something that, that said that there were at least twenty eight known deaths due to Russian roulette after this movie was made. So like you say, it may not have right. been um, accurate before, but it certainly became and you know, we've all seen parodies of this in movies and T V shows since and, and you know, oh, other sure other references in fact i saw this this exact thing in a movie not long ago i can't remember what it was i feel like will ferrell was in it um i think it was played for comedy but it was the russian roulette right. thing you know 
And, um, you know, that alone is such an iconic moment from this, from this movie. Um, so let, let me ask you a question. So the person that I was talking to about this movie was, uh, was a woman who was alive. She remembered seeing this movie in the theater and she went on and on about how good looking Robert De Niro is in this movie. How would you, uh, how uh-huh. do you feel about this? You agree? Yes. Which is funny because I, I, it, this is one of the things that surprised me when I watched it again. Because it wasn't something I remember thinking about when I watched it the first time. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I've watched their films um, moving forward, both Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro, revisiting it. These two things that stood out to me was one, oh my gosh, he is so good looking in this film. Two, their chemistry. Yeah. Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro's chemistry is palpable. Right. And they're both they're both pretty. Meryl Streep is oh my gosh. She's, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yes, to 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 um confirm the opinion, very <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you can you can see why I was like, they... hello Bob De Niro. <laughs> You know, I think the reason that that struck me as interesting was I don't know if I've ever heard people say that about Robert De Niro before. You know, like he's you never hear that about him. You hear what you know. Oh, you know, what a great actor. And, you know, like compliments about his work. And and certainly, you know, everybody's got their favorite part. You know, Robert De Niro movies. I almost called him Bobby. Listen to me. Um, But I know. (laughs) But uh, that I'd never heard before. I was surprised by that. So, okay. like you say, the I think camp- it had a lot to do with his character too, though. Yeah, that could be. That you know, could he be. doesn't often. He, he usually plays gangsters and, um, you know, or boxers or you know, taxi driver, and they're very intense and they're not always likable. Right. And there's been a handful of times where he's sort of gone in the other direction. This character really, in a lot of ways, is your traditional hero. And he's sort of quiet and he's strong. I mean, of his friends that went over there, he's the one who's sort of able to survive it and be strong in those really stressful moments. Right. And, you know, that's just, it's attractive. Okay. Yeah. Um, You can see why somebody i was going to say a studio head but it may have been a director or somebody wanted to reunite the two of them not long after this you know just a few years later they made falling in love together and what's interesting is because again i had not seen this one the movies falling in love is not that great a movie uh i mean it's fine but it's not it's not the best thing either one of them has done and i don't remember i'll be curious to revisit that one actually um, be yeah. just just from the chemistry perspective because I don't remember thinking when I watched that one oh these two are incredible together and then when they're together in Marvin's room it's not a romantic in fact I'm not sure they even share a scene in Marvin's room because I think his scenes are with uh, Diane Keaton in that one um, right. so you know I, I think I said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about you know the movies Meryl had coming up that they were supposed to do a fourth one together they were going to do this movie about a real estate agent or something and it disappeared and uh, it was called the good house or something like that and i remember saying i'm not so sad that it's gone it just you know like compared to the other stuff that she had in her queue that seemed like the least interesting but now it's not the most now it now it's not the least interesting like it it would be kind of good if you could find a way to get the two of them some really good material i'm a hundred percent on board you know i am too 
too, and some material. I feel like actually she's getting the better material right now than he is. Oh, without um, question. And I, yeah, and I haven't seen I haven't seen some of his most recent films, but I feel like he's either playing caricatures of yeah. of 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 other characters or himself, or um, you know, they're just sort of bad family dramas that aren't really aren't really hitting a, a, a note with the public. Right. And um, and I forget how good he is. I mean, he's so good. Well... Really, his performance is quite brilliant in Deer Hunter. You know, it's kind of interesting because he... Um, he has really worked so much. It's, it's almost a question of... You know, I mean, is he a workaholic? Like, the, the question of, like, would his career be better off if he didn't work as often and instead like really chose projects that were kind of interesting. But I mean, like if you look at his credits, he's still making three movies a year, you know, within this last, within the last year he made, uh, okay. So 2016, cause we're still in 2017. So I don't know how many of these will come out this year, but last year he made dirty grandpa, which I saw that one. That's not so good. <laughs> Hands of Stone, which is a boxing movie, which actually he's he's quite good in that. Um, he kind of plays okay. the mentor role to uh, Edgar Ramirez. Um, he's he's quite good okay. though. It's kind of like a, a kind of like less. It's kind of like an indie Rocky or something, but he's he's good. Um, and then he did one called The Comedian, which I saw. Um, I was really interested in that because it was right around the time I got to interview Edie Falco, and she's in that movie too. And um, that oh. he was good in. But I thought he was going to be great in that movie. I was really excited about that movie. Um, yeah. And it's the material isn't there. It's it, it's a stellar cast, good performances, but the material material isn't really worthy of them. I would say. Um, so you know he's he's hitting like one out of every three in my opinion. And again, it's it, yeah. It, it, it's just you know Meryl does like one movie a year except for this year. Um, and it's a really good movie every single time and a really good performance each time. And you kind of wonder if maybe he'd be better off if he was a little pickier, but maybe he just likes to work. I don't know. Who knows? Can't blame him for that. You know? No, no. And you know, he's obviously, I mean, he, he must enjoy it in some regard. Um, you know, and I think. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, and by enjoy, I mean like enjoy, enjoy your age and your experience, and just settle in and kind of go for the ride. Right. I don't know if that's happening. I don't know. Well, I think there's also the question. I mean, you and I are our backgrounds are in theater, and you know, it's mm-hmm. it's very different when you're making movies. But I would imagine that it's hard to assess, even if you've been in a lot of movies. There's got to be times where you think this is going to be a great movie and it's not and equally true the other way where you think uh this isn't going to work and it's it works you know i mean it's got to be really hard to assess it's a mystery yeah so in that way you can't blame him for just kind of picking a lot of things because it's kind of like playing the odds you know like if i make three movies this year one of them will be good and hopefully that's the one that the most people see Um, but you know, out of the three that I mentioned last year, which is the one that you'd heard of? Dirty Grandpa. Right? Oh, yeah. 
right? So yeah, absolutely. And that was easily the worst. He's been doing this, like you know, kind of like crass, gross out, you know, older guy mm-hmm. thing. And you know, I don't know. I guess it works for some people. I I don't know. I, I, like I say, he wasn't bad in the movie. He's <laughs> he's not the problem in that movie. But you know, it's just I don't know. Yeah, I uh, know. Anyway, tangent, uh, tangent. But um, I, I know, right? But but yeah, it was it was it was disgusting. Really, um, uh, he is such a strong part of this film and such a strong part of our film culture. He's one of our all-time great actors, without question. But, Absolutely. And, and that's Absolutely. that's one of the things. Is this is one of those performances? You know, it's it, it, this and Taxi really Driver, and, and so many of his movies are so. I'm a huge fan of his the 1983 movie um, that the the one that he made with Jerry Lewis and Martin Scorsese. I'm oh the King of Comedy. Um, and I've never seen it. Oh, that's a great one. And that one's not hard to take at all. It. Yeah, no, you'd love that one. Him and Jerry Lewis and okay. Sandra Bernhard. That's really a good movie. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Cool. Um, and actually, that movie is so relevant nowadays because it's all about like celebrity and access to celebrity. And like, you know, kind of feeling entitled to access to celebrity. Yeah. It's way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Um, really interesting. Yeah, it's really it's uh, that one is way underappreciated by you know it's not mentioned in the same breath as so many of his other movies. But um, we're talking about De Niro a lot. Let's talk about Meryl in this movie. She doesn't get a ton I of know, screen right? time, but man, is she good in this movie? She's so good. I I um I read I either read or watched an interview with her um, talking about. You know that there there wasn't much on the page. It's very clear there wasn't much on the page right. for her. And the film, uh, we've talked about this a lot. With, with the watching that, um, you know, it's definitely of its time, and it um, partly is the setting that you're in industrial industrial small town in Pittsburgh. You know, steel town, and uh, but the film is pretty misogynistic and portrays their there's sort of Russian Orthodox culture as as being that way. And then also the film has, you know, that really uncomfortable scene where they're going hunting and using all manner of derogatory terms. Yeah. I guess another, and you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's definitely at its time. I mean, the the first shot of Meryl Streep, she's going to help her alcoholic father off the bedroom floor and he, Whacks her around a couple times. It doesn't shy away from that at all. Yep, slaps her. That was. Yeah. Yeah. And what was interesting about her performance is, um, I think it was, it may have been Robert De Niro said this. She really leaned into the character as a woman who is completely dependent on, or if not completely dependent. Um, have her identity via the men around her. Ah, uh, interesting. And she really does do that. If you look at her performance, you know, um, you start with her father, and then it's how she relates to Christopher Walken when when Robert De Niro comes home from the war. You know, she's she's got her she's they're walking down the street, and she's got her arm hooked, like walking really proudly with him. 
you know, when, when he didn't show up at first, she kind of wraps up in a blue sweater. Um, yeah, so it was really interesting to look at her performance from Dingle because she really did lean into that rather than fight it, even though that wasn't her sort of natural thought process when she read the script. Right. Right. Well, and the director said that there wasn't much there. And like you said a minute ago and suggested that she write, she write mostly her own lines, which I guess she ended up doing, which is kind of, kind of interesting because the same thing, well, a similar thing happened on the next movie, which we've talked about now a couple of times this episode, Kramer versus Kramer, where she very famously wrote the last speech that, you know, her character gives to kind of give her some humanity that she felt was lacking in the character. So really like her first two big movies and she gets to like really help and drafting and creating her character which doesn't happen very often especially for like she wasn't a newbie but you know what I mean like the ones who can get away with that are the ones who've been around a while usually so it's very interesting that 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 Meryl managed right off the bat to to kind of say "Mm, no I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to like make this a real person instead of what's you know what's on the page here yeah absolutely and um I don't know. I think I get the sense. I get the sense that people have always implicitly trusted her because she's well. One, she's so good, right? But two, she doesn't ever give you any reason to not trust her, right? Right. I think she commands it, and uh, and thank God, thank God, they are right lines for the love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about uh, Christopher Walken in this movie too? He um, was, you know, I guess I've seen so many amazing. Performances from from Meryl and, uh-huh. and De Niro that it, it was a pleasant you know it was it was great to see them in this and amazing but it wasn't a surprise how good they were um, and I don't right. I don't mean to suggest that I haven't seen Christopher Walken be very good but he was uh, it's kind of a side of Christopher Walken I don't know that I've seen before he you know very. Um, right. Very intense and very good. He he won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar, and I would say richly deserved. I think what I loved about his performance was the um, the innocence and sort of wholeheartedness of his character um, before before he goes off to war. Yeah. And and you see the impact of the war on him because of his. Because because of his kindness, I suppose. Like De Niro's character is very—he's very strong. He's very strong before they go, and you sort of always get a sense that he's going to be okay one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christopher Walken, uh, you know, after, sort of after after they've escaped being prisoners of war, and he has that the the scene the scene where the nurse is out trying to ask him his parents' date of birth. Oh yeah, and he just, he just can't. Right, he just can't. That was so heartbreaking for me. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lovely performance. Yeah, there's just uh, well, and he's just so otherworldly looking. Yeah, he is. Like he just, he he is so, and I I'm gonna say strange. I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. Um, but he is just so different looking that um, it definitely plays a part in the performance for sure. 
Right, and Kazale too. You know, I mean, again, very unique looking yeah. individual. Actually, I mean, in some ways, they kind of all are. John Savage, in a way, De Niro. You know, mm-hmm. De Niro actually can look like that in a lot of other movies. Maybe this was one that where he looked more conventionally. You know, he, he looked a little bit more yeah. l- less less unique. But um, yeah, I I love the the scene. Basically, that closes the first act where they all kind of wind down in a bar after a lot of kind of intense <laughs> there there there's just so much going on and then one of them i don't even remember which one started playing a chopin piece on the piano and they all just kind of like everything yeah. slows down and it just kind of every, yeah. you know we've i think we've all had that moment where like there's just like this chaos and you know usually it's i mean this is it's so it was so interesting because again just our, like our generation you and I, I i guess maybe i shouldn't assume we have the same experience but like um these guys couldn't wait to go to vietnam they couldn't wait to go to right. war and in my lifetime i've never known that i've known people who were were happy to serve and felt like it was an honor to serve but i don't remember <laughs> ever knowing anybody who just like I mean one of them said something like I I I hope they put us right on the you know like right in the middle of it or something I can't remember what the exact quote was but there was something you know these guys were just couldn't wait to get over there and there was just this like kind of over it was like this pride and a naivete right and this like bubbling over masculinity too. this like you know they were trying to like outdo each other kind of thing and but it was also like I don't know. And like you say, the the kind of like very jarring, I mean, the words that were used were, were homophobic more than, and, and misogynistic too, but I mean, yeah. extremely homophobic in, in that way where it's yeah. kind of like, but so there was always this balance of like, you know, guys supporting other guys, as long as it was within the, you know, like these societally accepted parameters of like, you know, don't cross these lines. And, you know, I, I don't know. There was this, this stuff that has been, discussed in 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 papers and books and and other movies and you know all sorts of things but you know everything just kind of slows down as as he plays this and like i say it was it just kind of was the most stunning to me moment in the movie because it it was just kind of put in the middle of this very intense section where you know like again right before it was very chaotic and then it goes immediately after that very abruptly to vietnam like that's that's the transition and they're boom right into act two so so i like so i like that transition but here is a a beef i had with with the film with the, the vietnam portion and i'm sure it was a matter of what what we want to keep and what can go right but you know, you're straight into the action in Vietnam, which I'm fine with, because it is jarring, and I think it works. But you're in a village with Robert De Niro, and his two buddies are not there. And a helicopter lands and drops off additional American soldiers, two of which are his buddies. And they're actually surprised to see him. Right. You know, it's it's a chance encounter that he's run into John Savage and, and Christopher Walken's character. But then the next second, they're captured and they're all together. It felt, uh, it felt convenient. Yep. Yeah. To get them all as prisoner of war together, where I almost feel like it would have been a smoother transition if they were just together all along. 
I, I agree with that. It was almost an unnecessary, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed unnecessary to split them up and somehow make a contrived coming together. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. So one of the things I don't, um, you know what, one of the things I forgot to ask you last time when we were talking about postcards from the edge, so I guess you could answer this question for, uh-huh. for both this movie and that one, although I think I know where you stand on postcards from the edge, because postcards from the edge was in both of our top five. So one of the things that yeah. we had been saying was we we had our original list of, of top five, but we've also been talking about this hypothetical, does this make your, you know, 10 film starter pack if you if you meet a new Meryl Streep fan who wants to explore you know that basically 10 maybe different facets of her of her talent Uh or something like that so the question um does this film and or does postcards from the edge make it into that 10 film starter pack for you based pretty much exclusively on Meryl's performance right I think postcards for the from the edge definitely does this one, um, to some extent, I would say yes because it's her first. Um, it's her first real role uh-huh. um, in a film, with the exception of Julia, which is basically a cameo, um, one scene. So, um, in that regard, yes, and it's her first Oscar nomination. Right. And it really is at the start of her career. For those reasons, I would say yes. Okay. That being said, I feel like Kramer versus Kramer was uh, not that soon after this. And I think really shows her as a young performer even better than this film does. So it's a toss-up. Once we revisit Kramer versus Kramer, I'll make a final determination on which sort of early career Meryl Streep film okay. should go to. Okay. Because I'm really not sure. What do you think? I'm going Kramer versus Kramer all the way and not this one. But yeah. it's, it's not because I don't appreciate this one. Because Kramer versus Kramer, she's also not in a ton of that movie. Um, but I think... No, the, she's not. That's true. But the performance there, I think, is more... I think the story is more about her. We'll talk about it more, but like Kramer versus Kramer, there are all sorts of things where like, you know, she's... It's it's this basic like what they try to do is is show that she's always there like through the kid they they picked a kid who looked like her instead of a kid who looked like Dustin Hoffman to represent the idea that like right. she wasn't there but she was there you know like they they did in, interesting shots where like you know she's in a picture or you know like there's she's present in a movie even though she's not physically always in the scene this one she's not you know it's not about her um and, and the w- what she brings to the movie is worthwhile um and she certainly adds to it in a way that you know i was gonna say is this the same movie if you take her out of it? No, it's not. But at the same time, no. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I, her presence is more deeply felt to me in Kramer versus Kramer um, than than this yeah. movie. So I don't know. I don't think this one. I feel like there are, there are other movies of hers that I'm ultimately going to feel stronger about than this one, even though it, it is a great performance and a and a great movie. I'm I'm glad I. I'm glad I got to see it finally. Um, and, yeah. you, and you know what? It wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it was going to be. I don't know why I was scared of this movie because it really, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a laugh riot to <laughs> this movie, but it also like, yeah, no, it wasn't torture. I agree. I, I, think I, I think I expected it to be more difficult the second round than it was. 
I think maybe because of, I was pretty young when I saw it. Yeah. That it sort of stuck in my memory as being difficult, like, not like, but similar to Sophie's Choice, which is, it's just not even close. Right. <laughs> this movie would be a hell of a movie to see on the big screen. This movie would be something yes. to experience in that, like... The cinematography is stunning. Yeah. And to sit there and give yourself to this movie for three hours would be different than watching it at home on a, on a little screen. And, um, yes. you know, although I did try to be present for it, you know, I, I try to do that when we're watching the movies, I try not to have other stuff going on, but, um, right. Yeah. So she, the music is beautiful too. It is. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going for this movie. It's um, yeah. Oh, all around is it's pretty well done. Um, yeah. You referenced before Meryl got her first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She lost to Maggie Smith for California Sweet. Have you ever seen California Sweet? Oh yes, and Maggie Smith is pretty brilliant in it. She's amazing in that it's movie. So funny. <laughs> so. Um, it's a, oh gosh, she's a riot. Yeah. Uh, this won Best Picture, as I mentioned before, and Best Director uh, and Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken. Best Actor and Actress that year went to Coming Home for John Voight and uh, Jane Fonda. So it was kind of, yeah. you know, with the with the outlier of Maggie Smith and Best Supporting Actress, those two movies kind of like handled all the, you know, the top six awards. They got five out of the six between those two movies. So it was kind of all about wow. that. Uh this was also kind of notable because uh, John Wayne's final ever public appearance was to present the Oscar for Best Picture that year to the Deer Hunter. He died oh, wow. just a few days <laughs> later. Um, I, I love, I am a huge fan of John Wayne's. I self. know. We've talked about this and I feel bad because I... Yep. Uh, <laughs> I fall short in my appreciation of John Wayne. Although... Um, I do have this John Wayne little DVD box set that was, um, I just haven't kind of busted into it yet, but I'm going to at some point. I'm curious to know what's in it because I can, um, I, I can, I can help you navigate quite well Okay. <laughs> and tell you what to go to, to watch if you really want. Um, a good film experience because he made some really unbelievable films. Okay. I will try to find it. It's in yeah. a box somewhere. As you know, I've moved recently, so everything is uh, all over the place. But at some point, I will find <laughs> it, I'm sure. Um, so I have a question for you. Yeah. What, you know, Meryl Streep does have limited screen time in the film. What, what were the moments that stood out for you in her performance? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, actually, when you reference earlier, if I'm being if I'm being totally honest, it's the scene where De Niro uh -huh. comes back and and they're walking. I I just love how much she loves being with him. Like like you said, it's kind of yes. electric between the two of them. There's something about that that I think was the best. I didn't enjoy seeing her get hit at all. I didn't like that. Um, no. And the wedding stuff was fine. It was kind of like you know see her in like the bridesmaids like situation there and like you know like with her other girlfriends and whatever but it was yeah I, I think that scene with with De Niro when when he's back is hands down the one for me what about you um for me at the at the at the wedding 
Okay. When Robert, there's so much unspoken going on between them. They have entire scenes where they don't really say much to each other at all, and they say everything through subtext and body language and their interaction with one another. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool to watch with the two of them. But there's a moment where he, um, you know, he awkwardly asks her if she wants a beer. And, you know, she's trying to be polite. So she's like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, sure. And he pulls her into the bar at the wedding with him. And they're talking, they're talking at the bar. I can't remember what he says. But Robert De Niro just, like, for a split second leans in like he's going to kiss her and then stops himself. Yeah. And she has this moment where she sees it. It's that moment after her reaction to it was so brilliant. She does She does this amazing thing that I've never seen another actress do is that she captures the awkwardness of human interaction. Because those things do happen. Yeah in real life between people and I feel like most actors miss that nuance that you that you do have a reaction to it in your avoidance of it I guess if if I'm even articulating that well so that for me that moment was was really great and then at the very very end when they sit down to um you know honor Nick um you know, they kind of, ex- they exchange, they have an entire conversation exchanging looks with one another across the table. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, uh, but basically every moment she's in. Yeah. <laughs> she really is an important integral part of this movie. She is, she really gives it a heart. I mean, because you feel for De Niro, but he can't, because of the way these characters written, he really is sort of a strong, silent type. And um, you can't feel the longing and the pain and the suffering without her as a counterpart to that. Right. Yeah, it's just kind of a shame that in a three-hour movie, they couldn't have snuck her in a little bit more. But the film is structured the way it is for a reason, probably. It's it's a hell of a movie. Um, Cool. It is. Shall we move on to our other segments? Sure. Yep. All right. So, which would you rather do first? You want to do Six Degrees or the movies Meryl was almost in? Uh, let's do the movies Meryl was almost in. Okay. I've got a great connection because you know what it is? No. Coming home. <laughs> the one, the other one we've what? been talking no, about. Oh, you know what? I read that. Yeah. Jane Fonda really wanted her to be uh, the supporting actress. Oh, man. I'm going to forget who played that role. She was also up for an Oscar, but um, and it, I've only seen Coming Home once too, and it was a long time ago too. Because of Julia, I have not seen it. I need to. Right, I think Jane Fonda kind of, kind of, you know, knew before, even any, even you know, a lot of other people that oh, Meryl's going to be something, and like you know, found a way to you know try to get her in a couple of her things. So yeah, yeah. So that was that was it. She uh, she was. I mean, I don't know if she even auditioned for it or anything, but uh, Jane Fonda really wanted her to be in the movie and uh, attempted to make that happen in some way, shape, or form. So, um, moving on to our six degrees. So, the one you came up with last time was Dwayne Johnson. So, I feel like you, we both kind of came up with somebody right as we were talking about it. Um, I feel like I kind of gave, <laughs> I gave mine away, but I still don't know who you were talking about. Who were you thinking of? Um, so now I've forgotten. Okay. <laughs> no, 
okay, so he did a movie with Christopher Walken. Oh, really? And the guy from, I'm pretty sure it's The Rock, yeah. And the guy from American Pie. And I can't remember the name. And so I am going to cheat right now. I'm telling everybody I'm cheating and I'm getting on IMDb. But I do have the connection. What's yours? Well, the one that I thought about, and I have, I have two. Um, but the the one that I thought about, actually, I have, I have a couple. The one I referenced a few weeks ago because I saw that long halftime walk for Billy Flynn or whatever that movie is called. And oh I, yeah. I referenced that he was in that, and so was Steve Martin. Um, the one that you reminded me of because you said, well, there has to be a connection because of the Fast and Furious movies, and you said because they just right. keep adding people. Well, in the most recent one, which I haven't seen, they added Kurt Russell who was in Silkwood with her. So that was kind of where I thought you were going with it, but apparently not. Um, the, no. the other movie... think what it is. The other movie that I thought of has three Meryl connections, actually, which is that he was, oh, wow. he was in the film version of Get Smart. You remember like 10 years ago when they did Get Smart? Because Steve... Was he really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Steve Carell was in Hope Springs, Anne Hathaway was in Devil Wears Prada, and Alan Arkin was in, uh, I think, Rendition. Rendition or Lions for Lambs? Oh, I can't, oh yeah. I can't remember. No, Rendition. I, it no, was Rendition. Rendition, yeah. So that yeah. that one movie so, has a whole bunch of connections. Wow. That's a lot. So this film's called The Rundown, and it's with Sean William Scott and Christopher oh. Walken and Rosaria Dawson. Okay, I did. I didn't know that Christopher Walken was in that movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess you wouldn't unless you'd seen it. And I, I honestly, I don't know why I've seen it. <laughs> I have. I have. I've <laughs> not had the pleasure with that one. <laughs> I think that's a okay. Um, so we decided that for next week, we're going to do, uh, an interesting one. It's my Hollywood crush, Emma Watson. Uh, but we decided that we were going to do something, uh, a little bit different, which is you only get one point. I don't, I don't know what our point system even is, but you get one point if you connect it because of a Harry Potter movies, but let's face it. Those are easy. There's a couple connections that you can get to pretty quickly two points or five points or 10 points or however many points you want. If you can connect it to a movie, Emma Watson was in besides one of the Harry Potter movies. And I will tell you that um, there is not one that is leaping to the top of my head. I'm actually going to have to really think about this one. So I think that's why it's a good one. If we take the Harry Potter element out of it, I think we have something with this one. Yeah, because to do it in in one or or two steps, like we try, I mean, the first film that comes to mind is Beauty and the Beast, but even... Oh, oh yeah, I, I do too. We both <laughs> thought of it at the same moment. Yep, we did. Um, and I'm sure it's the same one. <laughs> yeah, probably. Anyway, we got to stop giving it away to our audience before. <laughs> I know, right? We got to let I them know. figure that out. All right. So, Meryl, do you want to tell everyone what the next movie we're going to do is? Yes. The next film we're going to do is Heart Burned, written by Nora Ephron. Going the other way. And it's basically about... Yep, 1986 with Jack Nicholson. Jack. And much much lighter piece. It's technically a comedy. Yes. um, Although it has its serious moments, too. I mean, it's about a divorce and everything. So, um, yeah. I'm I'm happy to revisit this one. This is one that I haven't watched in a yeah, while. Yeah, it's actually Kevin Spacey's first 
film role. Right. I remember that about it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually hosting the Tonys tonight. He is. Yeah, that's right. I have never watched the Tonys in my life. What? Ever. (laughs) What? I know. (laughs) It's like the record just screeched on me. That's amazing. (laughs) I mean, I'm impressed. (laughs) I don't know why. You never have. But I get it. If you're not a musical theater junkie, the fact that you kind of have a, you know, an aversion to it, there's really no reason to watch. Right. Because the straight, you know, the straight theater is not highlighted much at all. Yeah, and and even if it, even when it is, unless you've been there to see the shows, it's kind of like it's it's rooting for like the celebrity whose work you're most familiar with, but you don't know this performance. You know, like it's kind of just a, a funny yeah. thing because unless unless we get to a point where like they start broadcasting Broadway shows, we I, it's hard to have context right. for it unless you've seen the show. So, um, yeah. Anyway. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to revisit it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, very much so. Cool. Well, um, thanks everybody for tuning in, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks everybody. Your first two big movies in terms of public perception were The Deer Hunter and Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I wondered how you came to get those two parts as a sort of budding actress at the time. Were you ever a kind of unemployed waitress waiting for your big break? I, I was a waitress a, a lot of uh, t- the time. Uh, but it was during university I paid for my uh, scholarship. I got a scholarship at the uh, School of Drama at Yale. And I paid for that with waiting on tables while I was uh, in the school and uh, during the summers. The Deer Hunter came because Bob De Niro saw me in the Cherry Orchard, where I played Dunyasha, the maid. And I had taken as my, oh, what's the uh, highfalutin acting word? My endeavor, I think you call it your endeavor. I Ooh, was just that is highfalutin. <laughs> yeah, I was going to fall down every time I came on stage, for some reason or another, just to make myself and the other members of the cast laugh. That was my thing. And that he saw that performance, <laughs> a shameless performance, and uh, cast me in The Deer Hunter was sort of amazing. Uh, he, he went around and saw lots of theater that, that season. He saw Chris Walken, who was in, um, I think, Sweet Bird of Youth, and, and uh, John Savage, who was in a play. <clears throat> and it was early in his career when he first had some, some clout, and uh, he took Michael Cimino around, and, and they, they cast it from the theater actors in New York. I think it was that we falling over cheap. that stayed in his mind. 